This message is provided by Bridgeway Community Church. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, it's going to be a good morning. We're so grateful that you guys are here, and we do. We just want to say uh, a massive Merry Christmas to you guys as well, and uh, we just pray that you had an amazing day yesterday celebrating the birth of Jesus with your, your family and your friends and your loved ones. And today, I actually, I have the privilege of preaching on what's known uh, around the country as National Youth Pastors Preaching Day. Uh, it's the day after Christmas. So uh, I, I am very grateful to be here with you this morning. Our Christmas was great yesterday. We have... Uh, a three-year-old and a five-month-old, and so uh, our living room yesterday morning was like uh, it was like a bomb of gift wrap and cookies and all things Christmas went off, and and it was excellent. So we're uh, we're just grateful that you guys are here, and hope you had a a wonderful day yesterday as well, and, and as we celebrate this together. So I thought, what a perfect opportunity uh, to continue the Christmas story this morning. You see, typically, we always hear and talk about the Christmas story in a way where it ends with the birth of Jesus, right? Like, it's like, it, you know, as we're building up to Christmas and ramping up, we're, we're talking about, uh, you know, all the story leading up to the birth of Jesus, and then it's like a massive bookend, and then the very next day, it's almost like we just kind of move on. But I would love to actually continue talking about this story, the Christmas story, when it comes to the birth of Jesus. And so with today being the day after Christmas, it's only fitting that we talk about the aftermath of Jesus' birth. And so we're going to dive right into Scripture this morning. We're going to jump into the book of Matthew. And this, put, uh, this part picks up right when the wise men are leaving Mary, Joseph, and Jesus after giving them gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And Pastor Ron set this up perfectly a couple weeks ago uh, when, he was, when he was describing how the Magi or, or the wise men had an interaction with King Herod in which King Herod wanted the wise men to come back to him and report what they found and where they found Jesus, right, the Messiah. And yet they know uh, that's probably not a great idea. As a matter of fact, they, the wise men even have a dream in, in which they're told not to go back to Herod. And so instead they return to their home country going another route. And so this is where we pick up. It's in Matthew chapter 2, verse 13, and it starts like this. It says, when they, it's talking about the wise men, when they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. Continues in verse 14 and 15. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. I'm going to pause there for a moment because I think this is really interesting in this part of the story. It's interesting that now that, you know, you have uh, what we think of as like Silent Night. We hear the song Silent Night. It couldn't have been anything uh, but silent. Like it was just noisy, right? I don't imagine that being a silent night. And yet uh, after the silent night, uh, we all of a sudden have an escape or a fleeing to Egypt. And it's interesting because Egypt is actually located around 60 miles from Bethlehem. So it's not really that far. Like, especially when we think about 60 miles today, 60 miles is not that far. We're like, oh, that's quick and easy. But even back then, by, either by foot or, or on camelback, like 60 miles wasn't that long of a journey. So this meant that they were going to be able to get to Egypt very pretty quickly on top of the fact that Egypt is actually out of King Herod's jurisdiction. 
So King Herod had, once they got to Egypt, King Herod had no power over Mary, Joseph, and Jesus. As a matter of fact, he couldn't even chase them into Egypt. It was just kind of game over for, for King Herod. And another note of interest, I believe, in this story is that Egypt, uh, at the time, it was the very land that was known to be a house of bondage for Israel and particularly cruel uh, to Israel's infants. And now... This land is being used by God as the perfect place of refuge for infant Jesus. I love that. How amazing that God can take the worst of places and make it serve the best of purposes. I love that about this story. So we pick up back in verse 16. It says this, when Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious And he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under, in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping in great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. I want to give you a little context. That comes out of verse 18, a little context for what that particular part is talking about. So Rachel is a woman in the Bible who's married to Jacob, and the two of them, they become pregnant, and they have a son named Benjamin, but Rachel actually passes away during childbirth. Now, they they were in Ramah, and Ramah was near Bethlehem. Ramah is actually a city in the territory of their son, Benjamin, where all the descendants of Rachel lived. And so these words, that last line, verse 18, about Rachel weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted, they're used multiple times in Scripture, which is super interesting. And this is one of those times in the book of Matthew. It's, it's referenced because like Rachel, in the, in the passage of Scripture talking about Rachel weeping for not having the opportunity to be a mother to her, her children, like, like Rachel weeping for that, this is referring to the weeping of Bethlehem when Herod massacred all these young boys. And so we pick back up in verse 19. 19 to 23 says this, after Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, get up, take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel. For those who are trying to take the child's life are dead. So Joseph got up, he he took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning in Judea in place of his father Herod, He was afraid to go there. Having been warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee, and Joseph went and lived in a town called Nazareth. So was fulfilled what was said through the prophets, that he, as in Jesus, would be called a Nazarene. You see, as as I reflected on this story, it's it's interesting because we, we get up to the Christmas story and through Jesus' birth, and it's this heartwarming story, right? And we all know this story, and it's just uplifting, encouraging, and just the greatest. And then right after, it goes from, again, silent night to escape to Egypt, and all the, all the drama that comes with that in this story, and just all the different details of this. It's, it's less of an uplifting, encouraging story when we're talking about King Herod and his plan, Right? But what I, what I love about this is this, is that there's a theme that stands out in this passage to me. Whether it, whether it comes from the story leading up to Jesus' birth or the aftermath, I think there's a theme that goes through all of it. And that theme is one of humility. 
humility, and I looked it up. In Webster's Dictionary, the word humility means the state of being humble. And then the definition of the word humble is not proud or not thinking of yourself as better than other people. And when I read this story, I can't help but just see over and over again waves of humility throughout the people involved in the story of, in the Christmas story, in the birth of Jesus and in the aftermath. And, and, I, and I can't help but ask myself and think to myself like, okay, humility, humility is key in this story. Well, have I ever been humbled before? And when I think about that question, I absolutely have, time and time and time again. And so I ask, have you ever been humbled before? Can you think of a time where you've been humbled? I think myself, uh, you know, I go, to, I go to humility in its simplest of forms. I go back to thinking uh, of myself in college when I was, I was helping out at my hometown church in the youth ministry. And I, uh, I, was, I was around the, the students a lot. And so we, just like we do here at Bridgeway, we had a lot of uh, kind of cool stuff that the students could, could do while they were in our youth room. Things like ping pong and pool and foosball. And so I felt like as a leader in that ministry, I, I felt like I got pretty good at those things. Uh, and then I had one of my buddies come back home for the holidays at one point while I was there. And I ended up kind of walking through our hometown church with him, giving him a little bit of a tour. And we end up in the youth room, and he sees the foosball table. And he goes, hey, do you play foosball? And I'm sitting there going, oh, do I play foosball? I play foosball the, all the time, man, every week. And I'm sitting there going, okay, I'll, I'll be humble. So I'm like, my dabble knowing in my head that I'm going to crush him. In just a few moments, I'm going to just destroy my buddy in foosball. And so we jump out, you know, into the foosball game, and we're at the table, and, and it doesn't take long before I realize that five games have gone by, and I have not scored one single goal. Not a single goal. I thought I was pretty good. And I found out real quickly that uh, my buddy was way better. And in that moment, I was humbled. And you know what? To this day, that was, uh, it was about 12 years ago. I have not won a single game of foosball against my buddy Jay. And it humbles me, right? I had to be humbled in that moment and just go, okay, I'm not as good as I thought I was. As a matter of fact, I'm way worse than I thought I was. Maybe, maybe you've been humbled before. My guess is everybody in here in some way, shape, or form has been humbled before too. And so to me, everything about the Christmas story and the immediate aftermath has an aspect of humility to it. And here's why. It's because humility is good. We think of it as a bad thing. And that's kind of a theme throughout this message as well. A lot of the stuff that we're, we're talking about this morning, we think of with negative connotations, yet humility, this thing that feels bad, I think is actually good. Back into the story, you see when, when Mary, before Jesus is born, when Mary is told by the angel Gabriel that she will become pregnant as a virgin and give birth to Jesus... While all of that could have led to her having this prideful, egomaniacal moment of like, look at me, I'm giving birth to the Messiah. Ultimately, I believe it took humility to follow through on God's plan. And I believe that's what we see out of Mary. You know, scripture alludes to the fact that Mary and Joseph faced some, some serious forms of shame from other people because of this, right? And on top of that, imagine you're Mary having to tell your fiancé, Joseph, that you're not only pregnant and it's not his, but it's also the Son of God. There's humility in that and having to tell Joseph that even. Speaking of Joseph, obviously he's engaged to Mary. When he finds out 
Joseph actually planned to quietly end their engagement behind the scenes to save her from the public shame and humility and scrutiny that would come from their engagement ending. And yet Joseph has a dream where an angel comes to him and explains that Mary is pregnant with the Messiah. So Joseph sucks in his pride and commits to Mary and the baby. But how easy would it have been or could it have been to just leave Mary, given the circumstances and the public scrutiny that could come with going down that path, and yet Joseph doesn't do that. It's an an act of humility to stick around and see it through and be a part of it. And then there's, there's like the big obvious one, right? We're talking about Christmas. Jesus, the Son of God, we're talking humility, being born in a stable and placed in a feeding trough for farm animals. The King of Kings, born in the most humble of places, not born in the Ritz Carlton, but in a barn essentially. But today I want to hit I want to hit upon two other instances that I believe are also important to the story. And on two separate occasions in that passage that we just read, Joseph is asleep and an angel of the Lord appears to him in a dream. And on both occasions, the angel of the Lord says something to Joseph. He tells Joseph to get up and take quote unquote the child and his mother and go. Now imagine you're Joseph. You already know that this child isn't yours. And an angel of the Lord appears to you and reminds you again that this child isn't even yours. It doesn't say your son. The angel doesn't say your, take your son and go. It says take the child. Here's Joseph, this man who stuck with Mary, even though she was having a baby out of wedlock and it isn't even technically his. And he has a choice in front of him. You see, Joseph risked his reputation and his relationships to stick by Mary's side through this pregnancy. And now here's an angel of the Lord reminding Joseph that the baby's not even his. And and the angel also, it calls Mary the, the child's mother, not your wife to Joseph. So he's reminded in that moment, the child's not yours. And Mary's serving a greater purpose in this moment than being your wife. She's the child's mother. This had to be just a massive gut check for Joseph, right? And just a hit to his pride, which is probably a good thing. And yet I love what Scripture says in both places, in both instances, in verses 14 and 19 in that passage. It says this, so he is in Joseph, so he got up, took the child and his mother. So he's told by an angel to take the child and his mother which is a humbling thing for Joseph to hear, and go get out of Dodge, right? And what does it say? Joseph got up, took the child and his mother. Scripture speaks of no hesitation on Joseph's part. Like Joseph isn't even the central character in this story, right? As Pastor Ron mentioned on Christmas Eve, you could, you could even say that Joseph had a much less significant role He was more of a behind-the-scenes type of guy, right? We don't talk, Scripture doesn't even necessarily talk a whole lot about Joseph in the passage, other than what we read this morning. And yet, Joseph follows God's calling and plan diligently. You see, we, we struggle with this thing called obedience, don't we? Like, think about it, like, we as humans, we struggle with obedience. Think about this, like, Our pets struggle with obedience, right? 
Like you all in here probably have a dog or, or a cat maybe. I don't know. Do cats obey? They're kind of their own thing. I don't know. But you all have some, maybe you've been around a pet and you've, you've experienced like obedience issues. This is my dog, Griffin. He's a, he's a 110-pound oaf uh, of a Newfoundland is his breed. And, uh, you know, he, he has had instances where he is not obeyed as well. And I tell you this, much harder to get a 110-pound dog to obey than like a chihuahua, right? Uh, when you want them to like go somewhere or do something. And uh, I, remember, I remember letting Griffin out outside, this is last winter, uh, to go to the bathroom in our backyard. We live out in the, the sticks of Greenville, as they say, and we, so we're out in the country a little bit, but we've got uh, a little bit of, like, wooded area behind our house, and he goes out to the bathroom back there, but there's a little bit of space between us and our neighbors. And one thing that I don't love my dog to do, well, there's many things that I don't love my dog to do, but one of those many things is when I let him out outside, I don't love it when he starts to wander out of my yard and off of our property into the neighbor's yards and property. And this is exactly what I see Griffin do. I let him out to go to the bathroom. He goes out and he starts to wander. He picks a trail up or something and he starts to take off. And I'm like, I do that thing as pet owners do. If you ever notice, we have like a certain tone when we call for our animals. It's like, Griffin, come, Griffin, come. I start calling him and he's not listening. He's just going. And I'm like, I'm in shorts and t-shirt. I got to go get this dog though. So I throw on my tennis shoes and I start tra- traipsing through the snow and Griffin, come. He's not listening. And my voice, I start to raise more and more, and I'm getting angry. I'm like, this dog's not obeying me. And I I chase after him, and I start to realize that Griffin, not only is he not obeying me, he actually thinks it's a fun game to run from me as I call him. And the anger wells up, and I'm like, I start, Griffin, come! I'm screaming my head off. I'm literally chasing him through the snow, and he's looking back at me, and I feel like if ever I could, you could see a smile on a dog's face, I feel like he's smiling at me, Right? And I finally get him, but it took forever. We, we attribute obedience to our pets as something positive. But when it comes to ourselves, ah, not so much. You see, when it comes to the thought of obedience, when we, when we attribute it to ourselves, man, we go, mm, you know, I, I'm not some sheep. And yet, That's exactly what Jesus refers to us as later in his ministry, sheep. Multiple times, Jesus refers to us as as the sheep and to himself as the good shepherd. Whether that's in reference to leaving the 99 sheep to chase down the one that strays far away, or, or or if it's in reference to when, when Jesus talks as the good shepherd to like the sheep hearing his voice and following it. Instinctively, though, as humans, we don't love the thought of being called sheep, do we? Why? Because it humbles us. It humbles us. It puts us in this position where it almost lowers us a peg than we think where we're really at. It reminds us that we're not in charge or in control as much as we'd like to be. But you know what? It also reminds me of this. It reminds me that when it comes to God... Obedience is good. When it comes to God, obedience is good. You see, even my, even my big idiot dog, lovable, but an idiot nonetheless, even my big dog can learn some obedience through practice uh, and when he actually devotes himself to it. So let's check this out together. Here's an act of obedience right here. 
Man, you see, when you put your mind to something, <laughs> and that took like that took like practice and practice, and it's not even that good of a trick, right? But even our dogs or our pets can learn obedience through practice and learn what it means that, that there could be good things to come from obedience. My dog received his pilot's license right there, right? He's literally flying through the air, and yet, uh, here's what I think. Uh, here's what I believe. The best part of being called sheep is admitting that we need the shepherd. The best part of being called sheep by Jesus is recognizing that we need the shepherd. And there's no shame in that. There's just good old-fashioned humility. And time and time again throughout Scripture, we see God calling us to this idea of humble obedience. You see, sometimes God calls us to take risk. Sometimes God calls us to places we're scared of. Sometimes God calls us to stay the course, and then sometimes God calls us to course correct. And we just, we just happen to get in our way a lot of the times when it comes to following and being a follower of God. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't take perfection. It doesn't take knowledge or status to follow God. Scripture tells us it takes a humble heart. You see, the words humility and humble, they appear in the Bible over 50 times. And a lot of those times, multiple of those times, they're coming from the mouth of Jesus himself in the Gospels. See, being obedient as Christ followers is recognizing that God's way might be different than what we naturally want, probably for good reason, and still choosing to follow him to wrestle down the things in our faith and his word that challenge us, to fight for our faith in him and not flee from it. And so my church, my encouragement this morning as I look into this new year of 2022 is simply to seek God's will, to seek God's will. And why would we do that? Well, because I believe that God and his plan for us is good. God and his plan for us is good. That as Christ followers, that we, we are to humbly and diligently seek out God's plan and purpose in our lives. Because it's much greater than my own. God's plan and purpose for me is much greater than my own plan and what I think to be my purpose at times. Jesus even teaches us this. He teaches us to pray for God's will to be, to be done in the Lord's prayer. So what if in all things we took counsel with God? What if in all things we took counsel with God? Before, during, and after, we just constantly sought out God and his will in all things. What if we truly took captive every thought to him and, and humbled ourselves to a, to a degree where we would actually loosen up the grip on, that we have on our plans and we actually chased hard after his? Because we do that. We, we take our own grasp of things and, and we hold on to them tightly. And when it comes to God, God's will sometimes, we're like, God, let your will be done if it fits within the palm of my hand on what I'm clenching onto then let it be done, God. 
that's not what God's calling us to do. You see, following God comes with humility, and part of humility is sacrifice. And so God calls us at times to let go of what we're holding on to and say, God, your will be done, not within the confines of what I think your will should be in my life, but your will be done no matter how that looks and no matter how that feels. What if we loosened up our grip and chased hard after God's plan in our lives? You see, this, this Christmas story is full of this. It's full of this. It's, it's full of people being faced with opportunities to humble themselves and follow Jesus, to truly seek out the will of God in their lives and abide by it, to live it out, to have faith through it. So what does that look like? What does it look like to seek God's will? I believe it looks like this. Deny myself, pick up my cross, seek counsel with God. Deny myself, pick up my cross, seek counsel with God. Over and over and over. That's good. See, we see it in the story, like Mary, back when when she's told that she'd become pregnant with the Messiah. God, I don't know, that's not in my plans. You You didn't ask me if I'd like to do this. I got voluntold by you, God. And yet, what does she do? Denies herself, picks up her cross, seeks counsel with God. Or Joseph, when he finds out from Mary, right? God, this again, this isn't my plan. What are you talking about? How could this be the plan? Denies himself, picks up his cross, seeks counsel with God. Jesus himself, right throughout his entire life, leading all the way up through his crucifixion, denies himself, literally picks up his cross, and seeks God's counsel. See, as Christians, I believe that we are faced constantly with endless opportunities to do justice, to deny ourselves, pick up our cross, and seek counsel with God. And so I have this thought. Before I wrap up, and this is, this is a thought, as I consider the points that we just talked about, that, that humility is good, obedience is good when it comes to God, that, that, that God and his plan is good. When I think about those points, I can't help but think of Jesus as an infant. Like, think about the Christmas story leading up to his birth. If it wasn't for these things, humility, obedience, God and his plan, I don't know that Jesus would have survived the Christmas story. And yet all of those things are true. And Jesus not only survived, but he changed the course of human history as we know it. And that alone is enough to humble me and just bring me to my knees before God. You see, humility is this this thing we think of as, again, as I mentioned before, as a bad thing. It feels bad. It doesn't feel good. So we we think of it as bad. And and yet I believe God is calling us as believers to walk with humility. And that's not to say to not be confident in our faith, but confidence and arrogance are completely different things, right? And I believe God's calling us to walk a life of humility, a life of serving like Jesus, a life that says, you know what? No, other people are a priority over myself. And so again, I look, as, I look to 2022 as more opportunity to humble myself, pick up my cross, and chase after Jesus hard while seeking him. 
And so, church, I want to leave you this morning with this passage because I believe, man, it's, if, if this isn't just the best summary of how to seek God's will, I don't know what is. It comes from Romans 12, verses 1 through 2, and it says this. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. There's a word again, sacrifice, that doesn't sound or feel good, but it is good. As a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Church, I implore you today, the day after Christmas, knowing that Jesus came for our sake, knowing that Jesus lived a life of humility, if there ever was a person who who, would, who you would think wouldn't have to be humble. It was Jesus, and yet that's exactly what he was throughout his entire life and ministry. I implore us today as a church to continue to seek God's will with humility. And I believe through that, we see God just work in powerful, crazy, miraculous ways. And so we just want to say here this morning to you at Bridgeway, Merry Christmas and Happy New Year. As we do that, we seek out God's will and try to follow him more closely. Church, will you pray with me this morning? Father God, I'm just so grateful for your son Jesus and the fact that you would send him for, for my sake, for our sake, and even when I don't deserve it. That's called grace, and I'm just blown away by your grace. I love the story of Jesus. I'm reminded of the humility that Jesus lived with. I'm reminded of the humility that, that Mary and Joseph lived with, and and going on this journey to make sure that Jesus survived. Just blown away, God, by the domino effect there, by the way you line things up in our lives. God, even when it doesn't make sense, you're lining things up, you're lighting our paths and ordering our steps. So God, I just pray, I pray during this holiday season that we would continue as a church, as a body of believers, to continue to look to Jesus to say, ah, I'm humbled by you, Jesus. I'm humbled by you. So God, we chase after you hard. We follow you. We believe in you. And we're just grateful to be a part of your story. We worship you and praise you in the great, great name of Jesus. Pray all these things. Amen. Thanks for listening to our podcast today. Check out our app or website at bridgewaycommunity.org for more messages or to take the sermon one step deeper by downloading the Sermon Discussion Guide.